Hi. Hi. Who are you? I am Almar and I'm an addict. What kind of addict? Attention addict. I love attention. Any attention. And what are we doing here? Uh, we're making a podcast. What is that about? Um, it's about the things like uh, people's stories, how they ended up where they are, ended up doing what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it was supposed to be about something else, but I ended up with this. Mm -hmm. uh, who are those people? Um, these are my friends. Uh, uh, yeah, basically my network, but because I wanted to make a show about me, but I didn't really have anything to talk about. So I ended up looking at the network. The network was interesting. So I kind of thought, okay, I can maybe make something with this. So do you have already a name for this uh, podcast? Yeah, it's called The Bunker. How the hell did we end up here? And how is it connected to, to the theme? Uh, how the hell did we end up here? So basically people's stories and how they went from A to B and then to C and with coincidences, decisions, traumas. Basically anything that moves you to the direction or the point where you are. Mm -hmm. So how often are you going to have this podcast? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but maybe like two, two times a month, three mm -hmm. times a month. So do you take yourself seriously enough? Do you have some sponsors? Yeah, like every other professional podcast, then of course I have sponsors. I have the Oat Bar. Uh, that's the, the greatest thing in Carlin. Sells amazing oatmeal and skier. Mm. Everything is handmade. Um, and it's available from 8 to 3 during the weekdays, closed on the weekends, but you can order on Walt as well. And it's a place that you really want to go. Healthy yet tasty. Mm, and good. then I have, yeah, and then I have um, a company called Alfred. It's alfred.cz. It's a place where you can find jobs. You can set up a job watch. You can get notified whenever there's a cool job coming along. And it's a great solution for anyone who is either looking for a job or wants to change jobs because you can find the right job without spending time looking for it. Uh, it's available in Czech, English and Slovak. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, alfred.cz. So yeah, those are the guys. On today's episode, we're going to talk about sex. And then we'll talk about a little bit more sex. And then we're going to talk about how it is to be in an open relationship. My guest is Eva Roleterova, who's a psychotherapist and a couple therapist in Prague. She also was a happiness manager in a company. But the main topic is, guess what? Sex and open relationships. So stay tuned and enjoy. Eva, welcome to the bunker. Hi, Mar. Thank you for the invite. No problem. Um, it's great to have you. Uh, how was your day? My day, it's been great. I've spent it all outside on the sun. I got a little burnt. I'm enjoying the rest of this beautiful summer that's now leaving us, sadly. Yeah, I can see the burn. It's mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're sitting in front of a, a kind of a reddish <laughs> yeah. blanket and you fit. Perfectly in. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I was, um, I was when I was preparing for this. I, I, um, I noticed that you you mentioned a book that you read lately that's called Shallows. Mm -hmm. What the 
social media or what Google is doing to our brain. No, how was that? <laughs> it's not just about Google or or social media. It's about the internet uh-huh. overall. Yeah, it's about what it's doing to our mind, to the way we are processing things and information, and how that is being dramatically changed by how much we use internet, which is a very different way of using information than previously, than compared to reading, for example. When you read a book, it requires totally different level of focus on what you're doing versus using the internet that is um, what is typical for that, that it's shallow, as, as is the name of the book, and you have to switch and jump from one topic to another, and our attention is um, has a very different quality and then when you what you find in people is that nowadays they're not able to read a book for example that mm-hmm. it it's an extreme effort to sit with the book and focus deeply enough that you can follow I don't know dozens of pages and is this something that you see in your line of work as a, as a therapist I mean do you do you do people come with these kind of issues to you or have they come with these kind of issues to you? Well, it is not my specialty, uh, but I know of people who, who focus on that as, as therapists. But yeah, people um, are getting a little... Well, officially we don't say that, that they would be addict because you can't have non-substance addiction. But they're very much used to using social media and having their phone at hand all the time. I can see it on me, right? I'm... I have my phone right she here on the table. The I just picked up my pa- table to, uh, sorry, f- a phone to look at what time it is and all the pop-up notifications. They will uh, increase our level of dopamine and endorphins and other things that will make us happier. So basically we are craving this this feeling of uh, attention or um, gratification that all those mm. things uh, give us. Yeah, I was just uh, watching a movie actually on Netflix called Social Dilemma. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's a nope, kind of on yet. the same topic. And they, but they're very much about how, how, how this um, attention that we're jumping from one thing to another, chasing things can be manipulated by mm-hmm. algorithms and, mm-hmm. and used then for political purpose to share mm-hmm. the fake news, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And so. it's... Um, it's a scary thing. Do you, do you worry about this? Where it ends? <laughs> I wor- well, mostly where I see it, I I worry about people's mental health because where it impacts them is usually their feeling about themselves, mm-hmm. right? When you see your friends and everybody around you having a stunning life, and you're just sitting home alone, sad. You, you're not necessarily aware that their life is as ordinary as yours and we we tend to compare our lives to whatever we see, which is a very skewed picture of people's lives out there. Mm. Um, and also I see that they're um, unable to rest. For example, in, in the past, people would you know take a tram or a metro on the way to work and back. Those 15, 20 minutes, half an hour... They would just sit, look out the window and let their mind flow, which is a very mm, important time for us, for our well-being and just, you know, mm, 
let the mind go on a free flow mm -hmm. that we are not doing currently because we are constantly busy with a phone that is basically a little computer in our hands. Um, so I don't think we get enough rest or uh, that mm. time of n doing nothing and that impacts the attention as we spoke. So yeah. That is a very limited resource and social media are uh, they're not for free. We are paying for them by our attention span. Yeah, yeah. And they're monetizing it. us. Mm -hmm. We are the product. Yep. And then you can be, you know, a um, little restless, maybe don't have that much patience with, you know, people you like or mm. other things. They, they in that movie they were talking about a lot about also that that uh, that young children are mm -hmm. are seeing this as their primary way to connect to society. So mm -hmm. they're actually de delaying um, dating, uh, <laughs> yeah. taking a driver's license, and a uh -huh. lot a lot of things that that you know someone like me my age would kind of like well why I I would never have wanted to mm -hmm. miss out on those things. Mm -hmm. And it was it was really and yeah obviously this about the self image and and constantly being compared to something that is maybe unrealistic or isn't even how it is shown. And also, when you have you know good enough gratification online, then maybe we are not that motivated to f to seek that in in the real tangible world. Yeah. Such as, but and then the impact is 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 bigger. For example, watching porn, and now we see that people, young people nowadays, are having a little less sex than the past generations, and they start later on in their life. Yeah, this I I don't know. I I, I obviously I'm a dinosaur, and I don't like this. But uh, yeah, I, I I can't. I don't see a happy ending on this somehow. It's uh, it's scary. Um, I I I. I'm very. I'm still hopeful. I, I think it's a tool that we are just learning how to use, so that we're the masters of it and not the tool, the master of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope uh, you're right. And you know, maybe we are on some extreme side of the scale right now, but I'm hoping that we'll learn how to manage that and get get some balance again. Mm. All right. Um, yeah, that was just uh, just it just came to my mind when I was getting yeah. ready, and and um, just wanted to kind of go back a little bit. Uh, you're born in 1989. That's 89. Yeah. Uh, when the wall was coming down. Mm -hmm. Where where the was this? Revolution. I was born in Opava, that is uh, close to Poland borders with Poland near Ostrava. It's a mid-sized town of sixty thousand people. Um, small, cute, safe, um, and kind of slow, <laughs> I would say. It was a it was a nice place to to live in when I was young. And and you're part of a big family or Yep. Uh I come from a well, I, I would say bigger family. Uh, what it was probably important when I was growing up is that uh, I lived in a house with my grandma and grandpa and aunt and her family so on three floors there were three generations of people and that was that was amazing I was always surrounded by people and also my my parents were pretty social so we would spend weekends out with you know those fake aunties and uncles so you're born in the Velvet Revolution, and uh, that's when the wall came down. Mm -hmm. A lot of people here, they have memories of the wall, how life was 
before the fall of the world going on holiday with the parents driving somewhere, blah, blah, blah. You don't have, obviously, those memories. But th did the wall have some sort of a significance in your life? I think it did. Uh, when I was little, a very young child in 90s, that was the wild, wild west times of the Czech Republic, you know, all the people starting their businesses and being excited about the opportunities of um, um, commerce and that they could own things. So the atmosphere was hopeful, but not very regulated. <laughs> uh, it was interesting to see, for example, plastic bottles coming to the Czech Republic and things like that. But I had no way of comparing that. Obviously, I haven't lived through the period of time before. So all I could hear was my parents remembering and comparing those times. And for me, it seemed like a fairy tale. It was unreal. Like life has always been the yeah, one exactly. that I had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think... What is interesting is that then you kind of lose the generational overlap, right? My parents had very different childhood from mine, so they couldn't necessarily help me out that much and um, teach me things because I was the very first generation of experiencing them together with them. So in a way, I was more, more flexible because I already grew up with, um, let's say, cell phone, while for them it only came when they were adults. Mm -hmm. Now it's yeah. interesting. It's uh, it has had such a big impact here, you know, on 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 mm -hmm. people's lives. It's 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 um, it's actually crazy to think about it. Like you say, it it sounds like a different world mm -hmm. before mm -hmm. and after. We were watching politics, but not not that much. We were not um, very keen. Um, we're just observing the situation. And mm. my f my father, he was he was working abroad. He would travel um, with export, import, and moving stuff around. Yeah, in the Wild West. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or Wild East. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you, you went through school. Everything was fine. Three generations in the house. And then when it comes to university, you pick... Psychology. And why is that? I think I had very naive idea uh, about what it is. Uh, I I always knew that I like talking to people, and I was thinking, hey, um, if you can talk to people for a living, that's amazing. I want to do that. Why? And everybody doesn't want to do that if it's a job. <laughs> <laughs> so I was imagining myself sitting in a in an armchair <laughs> talking to <laughs> people about their lives. Yeah. And, and somebody lying on the couch. Not a couch, oh. an armchair. Couch okay. is um, old school. Uh -huh. <laughs> and also, I felt that um, I don't have to decide just yet exactly what I want to do. Because as a psychologist, you can also work in business. You can... You can be in marketing. You, you can, can manipulate people's minds. Yeah. <laughs> you can do many, very many things. Um, so in a way, I, I was postponing my decision of what I want to become when I'm adult. And and how did it turn out to be very different than you expected? I mean, like to the, 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 studies the studies already or... or no, there are classical studies. I studied at Charles University uh, in Prague. Um, 
and it's pretty no i don't want to sound mean but uh yeah please sound mean. it is not a very modern institution uh-huh so the the step from from high school from um grammar school to this university was very smooth the only difference i felt was that right now i had a lot more time at hand in a big city of prague which was big change in my life moving from a small city of opava to prague so in those first years i i think i was more impressed by the city and the atmosphere here making new friends working because i had some part-time jobs ever since i i moved in here um and the studies were interesting but also pretty theoretical and i think that th- the real education i got was much later in my first job and then uh during psychotherapeutic uh, training mm-hmm. that i took mm-hmm. so school was just something you had to do to get from one point to another in a way not only parts of that were there were subjects i was just sitting through knowing that hey i need to pass this to uh-huh. get where i want to be uh-huh. at the same time there are so many interesting people talking about interesting things rather later on in the studies when you start choosing the, the particular subjects that you want to focus in and specialize in um. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh, and then you 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 when you graduate what did you do then mm-hmm. it's interesting um Before I graduated, I, I went to for Erasmus to, to Germany. I spent half a year in Germany where I saw how different can it look like. The the level of university there was very, very good. Um, and then I I started working. So I just landed my first job in HR and I was just finishing the university while uh, while working already. In was that job here in Prague or in Germany? Yeah, it was here in Prague. Uh-huh. It was here in Prague. It was the the HR job that uh, was basically an accident, and I sp- ended up spending four years there. And But what kind of company was that? Um, it was a company um, providing card services for um, company fleets. Mm-hmm. So cards that you can pay for petrol with. Uh-huh. And monitoring and you were hr or or yeah I, i started as an assistant it was just a part-time job when i started then my colleague who was in hr she got pregnant just planned very very quick maternity so i stepped in it was supposed to be nine months and it were three more years because we got a big project and started building basically a new company so there was a lot of hiring um, setting up processes and Doing was whatever. this was this fun? It was a lot of fun, yeah. It was a big pressure, always deadlines, but it was fun. I, I there I realized that I really liked working under under pressure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I saw somewhere that that your title there was happiness manager. There was uh, the one after that. Uh-huh. So that's when I when I finished uh, after four years at, at this work, uh, the, where the role became pretty big. And with potentially very very interesting uh, future career, but I felt that the psychologist in me calls me towards my original purpose, and that was you know talking to people. So then I was um, looking for a job that would be closer to people, not just 
the very pure business side of things, like how many people we need, how much did we pay them. And uh, I worked as a happiness manager, as you mentioned. Um, What's that? That is... <laughs> that Someone is who brings cakes to work? Or? No, not necessarily, even though sometimes that was part of the job. Um, it meant... It was also an HR role, but in a very different setting. It was um, in a IT startup where the company culture was very different from my previous ex experience. It was um, very relaxed, friendly. We we had very good relationships with all employees, and it was a small firm as well. Um, and the job was about really caring for people and trying to know them, know what they want, what bothers them, and, and help out. But I found out very, very soon that really cakes is nothing that'll make people happier. Neither is the salary. We get used to all these things. And what really matters most is if the job is good, if, if they like their work, if their direct manager is is a cool person or an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh huh. That's interesting because yes. I, I read some stories about the company that I've had happiness managers and, and, and employees think that they are some personal assistants of them and ask them to go to the supermarket for them and, and crazy stuff like this. And, I, I'm, you know, I'm old school. This yeah. wasn't the case when I was at work. It I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I had a philosophy that was maybe not uh, the best there, but I was saying, hey, everyone is responsible for their own happiness, right? I'm here to make space and try uh, for the company not stand in a way. But whether you're happy or not, at the end of the day, is really up to you. And if you don't want to be, you're and you're not going to do anything for that, then probably I can't help you. Mm. And uh, and this. Um You said earlier this was like a sidestep or a detour, this HR thing, but it, it got pretty big. I mean, you it, had at some stage yep. 250 employees and... Yes, yes, that was in the first job. Um, yeah, you know, sometimes it happens. You you go someplace and you're in the right place at the right time. Mm. And six years later, you're like, wow, this was an interesting journey, but I'm, I'm, I'm ready to to do something different now mm. because during all these hr years i was uh, studying to be to become a therapist basically that's another on top of university there's a psychotherapeutic training of um this was four to five years that it, yeah i was yeah <laughs> studying and more and more i i remember that um 18 year old eva who wanted to talk to people and make their life better my focus has always been the individual and and making some contribution towards towards that not, yeah. on, not on a system compared to the system level for example yeah um so you you leave the happiness position and um and you open your own therapeutic session uh sorry on therapeutic uh, practice. Mm -hmm. Is that called practice, right? Yeah, practice. Yeah. Practice, we say. And uh, and and you focused on individuals and couples, mm -hmm. counseling and therapy. Yes, yes, that's right. 
was that an obvious thing for you to to go into i mean was that what called you kind of out of the the hr area yeah it was and um this is a um it was not uh and one job start another because the, there was again an overlap i already started working with clients during my training and in the past couple of years i just didn't have very many of them and that's that's what changed so you kind of year. gradually grew into the thera- yes. therapeutic uh, uh-huh. part of it so what kind of people are these and and what kind of issues do they bring to you yeah so what connects them all is that they are people ready for some change they are unhappy about some part of their life and they want to have a better life yeah they want to be happier they want to have better relationships better better sex better um better mood yeah Mm -hmm. there are people who have some depressive or anxious symptoms um that would be a minority of my individual clients uh, and most of them have some relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And how <clears throat> and how is it? Is it a taboo here to to go to a therapist, or like is it is it like a I don't know how to say it? Are people coming very late when they have tried a lot of other things, or things have gone really bad? Or I see there is a big change. There is a I can see a generation change. So there is one rule, basically that uh, when it comes to couples therapy. People come usually way too late. Unfortunately, when they've tried all the other options, they already had the same argument 20,000 times at home. And they think like, oh, this is the last resort. Let's try it out. And that's usually, unfortunately, sometimes too late. Yeah, Because they gave up. Mm, One of them, maybe. Uh Uh, There is this stereotype that... um, the wife or the the female, she would complain about some things for years and he's not listening. And then when finally she kind of gives up and she gets resignate, she resigns. That's when he notices that, oh, shit, some, something's, something's really going, going on. on. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's when he uh, is motivated enough to, to go somewhere because for many people, it's still, there is a stigma connected to seeking a therapist and they come but usually the the um, the woman is already um, checked out of the relationship but it's interesting that you say this because um um i it I, I've, I've always felt this that that somehow a woman's tolerance is is actually longer than a man's tolerance but when it's been used up to the end there is no return there are no rules like that, obviously, okay. you know. But I have seen these cases too, yeah. and and heard of them. Yeah. Um, and I, w- apart from the couples therapy, I also see that younger people they come earlier. Um, and also the younger couples actually. I've got um a few couples that are in their early twenties, and they uh, come to talk about whatever they need to talk about and, and they're less shy and they come before it's you know festering yeah before it gets out of hand mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's interesting so it's kind of like preventive mm-hmm. yeah 
therapy in a way. There are even some clients who come and they're like, yeah, well, I'm going uh, for dental hygiene. Then obviously I have to come for therapy too. And they see it as something very, very normal to do. And I'm, I'm happy to see this this change. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, it's it's yeah. It's, if you break your hand, you go to the doctor. If, mm-hmm. if your mind is broken, you go yep. to a therapist. Yep, yep. Um, but uh, you, I know that in the couples therapy, you you have also focused a lot on sex, mm-hmm. and uh, and obviously that's probably one of the the more sensitive subjects that that couples bring. I would say even the most sensitive. Yeah. The ones who come, they're already the brave ones. Okay, and and uh, how how. How come you went into this? What kind of got you interested in this kind of, let's say, f- f- focusing on this area? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So first of all, it's not just sex. I, I say, you know, relationships, intimacy and sex, and it's all one thing. We could even say that sex is just another form of communication between partners, very intimate, um, but a communication nevertheless. And I started focusing on this because uh, I think that our the quality of our sex life has a great impact on our overall uh, life satisfaction. And when everything works fine in this area, it's good, we're happy, and we even take it as, as standard. But when something goes wrong in the area of sex, then it can it can represent a huge black hole of energy and a lot of sadness and um, just overall not feeling happy. So I was thinking, hey, there are not many people who focus in this field. I have no problem to talk about it. I think it is important and it requires more attention than it currently has. And also, you know, also air the op- the topic. Like uh, our society is very sexualized but on a very superficial level mm-hmm. we don't really speak about those um, deep inner feelings and experiences that we have that are very vulnerable most of the time mm-hmm. and i want to make a change in this field and 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 before you got into this was there you say there was not many many in this field here or or or, or well there are of course i mean mm. czech republic has been very liberal for many years, so we could even say that some frontiers of, of sex therapy, they were here decades ago, um, but still sexology lies more in hands of psychiatrists and sexologists and people who have a rather medical background or urologist, gynecologist, um, and in the area of psychology, well, we have marital counselors and couples therapists but they might focus a bit too much on the relationship side of things mm. not necessarily on the sex side of things mm-hmm. um, so you're the bridge between somehow i'm trying or to c- closing the circle let's say i'm definitely not the only one no currently i am um attending many conferences that there are in the czech republic and i see that uh they're good people working in this field there mm-hmm. that want to help mm-hmm. and how how um, 
But how was this in the in the kind of the public field in media and 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 uh, magazines? You know, uh, is this an open open topic somehow? I think it is more and more. Mm. But depends what media you're looking at. Mm. Um, there is a layer of media such as Blesk and you know tabloids and um, various sites for women that uh, they of course they have um, a tab called sex and relationships but all you ever read there are oh 10 tips for this 10 tips for that and they're trying to offer uh, ready-made solutions but it's usually not the case the blowjob that saved the relationship exactly <laughs> and So, isn't this uh, a topic that a happiness manager in a company should be very kind of interested in? Well, uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> If we uh, take it that you know, having a happy sex life is a part of uh, overall happiness, then yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's not very common. Uh, but I was actually asked by um, one happiness manager and I gave um, a talk or a workshop on communication about sex so how to communicate about sex without awkwardness <laughs> and it was um as their perk is there like brunch and um brunch and talk mm -hmm. so i did talk there it was fun those people were very keen to learn more and we tried some specific um exercises saying words that we don't usually say out loud it was a lot of fun Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like what? Um, <laughs> I asked them to uh, use um, various words in in a sentence. So let's say uh, there were things like um, a whip, uh, dildo, <laughs> or <laughs> what else? Um, and I asked them to to use them in a sentence. Uh huh. Mm -hmm. Just just for the habit of saying it out loud, because we are often lacking the lingo. Yeah. At home, we are not taught how to say this. And maybe we name our genitals by very silly names. And it's important if you want to talk to your partner about sex to know how to call. Is it a penis or is it a dick? Is it um, is it a cunt or a pussy or, or something else? What, whatever feels comfortable and and normalize the talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that to kind of eliminate the taboo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the couples that seek your help with the sex and and yeah relationship and sex related issues, uh, what what type of things are these that they're coming with? Mm -hmm. I would say the most common is that they stopped having sex or mm -hmm. their sex life is not very satisfying uh, for various reasons. But usually the story is following that they're they say they have a very good relationship. They love each other. They're very good friends. Um, but after some years of being together, the spark has gone out the window and they're not having much sex lately. Uh, sometimes one wants it more than the other. So there is a discrepancy in, in desire. That's very common. Uh, another would be with men um, having erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. 
and the psychogenic. So they um, they don't have as as good erection as they would like, and they come to fix that. Usually, young men, because with older men, it's uh, often connected to some organic reason, but with the younger, it's rather the psychogenic reason. And how psycho? Basically, um, performance anxiety. Uh-huh. When you treat sex as a, a goal-oriented activity that has certain you know, phases, steps, and the the only right end is to have an orgasm for both parties, then it can make you very tensed about, oh, am I doing it right? Is it going to be okay? And um, the biggest killer of pleasure, uh, from what I'm seeing uh, with my clients is um, being in your head. That is a big thing. So also people who suffer uh, for um, anxiety, for example, it's very typical for them. They would have things, oh, is this good enough? Is it going to be okay? They worry a lot. And these worries are exactly the things that will not make your um, penis work. Uh-huh. <laughs> In sex, it's very important that you're enjoying the moment, your body, you feel the sensations you have everywhere and not think about your performance. That can kill it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're saying couples for this lack of sex uh, or difference in needs of sex mm-hmm. and erectile dysfunction, what more? Also um, infidelity, that mm-hmm. is... That is uh, a big reason for people to come to therapy. And that is what um, throws them into crisis. So in fidelity, then we talk about sex. What what did it mean for the one who was cheating? How was their sex life, etc.? And um, that would be one big, big topic that is probably way too complicated to go into much detail right here. Uh, Another type of clients are also the ones who are not, mm, who are interested to seek different options or different alternatives when it comes to their relationship and and sex life. So those are usually the ones who are interested in non-monogamous relationships and they want to talk about, hey, how do we set up the rules? What does it mean? How do we do that? Mm Mm-hmm. And the, and these uh, um, like how 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 is it when you sit all day and listen to people talk about these kind of things? Does it th- what effect does it have on you? Well, I'm usually very tired <laughs> afterwards yeah. because as we spoke about the attention in the beginning, this work is amazing, but it's it's quite tiring because when I'm there with a client. I give them my 100% full attention, um, which is amazing. I get into flow. I don't, you know, watch other things, but then I can get quite exhausted. But that's the technical part of the deal. I think what you're rather asking about is what influence the topics and the content has on my life. Yeah, you know, how can you go home and just be excited about meeting your boyfriend when... You know. Yes, uh, I, I, 
I really I perceive more the level of tiredness and sometimes I I've got some additional thoughts about what's been going on and then uh I like to talk about it with with my partner well in a anonymous of course anonymous way I never discuss my clients per se but let's say oh here was an interesting topic what do you think about yeah. that and quite often if it's something that is new to me or somehow interesting uh we ha- i use it as a topic for our discussion and mm-hmm. say hey where do we stand on this one aha okay so, so i think i'm learning quite a bit from, from that. it yeah so you know see- seeing different varieties how people can um take things what can happen um i'm very grateful to to all my clients they're an amazing source of inspiration and mm. new thoughts and how if i if i if if i come into a therapy like this or as, as a couple comes into a therapy like this is there like a, is it a long process is there like is there homework i mean what what's the what's the cycle here i mean mm-hmm. so it really depends on why they come and mm. when mm. um And is it sorry? Is it the same there as with the uh, the regular couple therapy? Do you feel that they're coming too late? Interesting question. Yeah, a bit, a bit too late. Uh-huh. Because it's s- such a sensitive topic, they are quite shy to to discuss it before it's it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um. And I can't. I can't really say there's there's no standard. I there are some couples that we worked with on a, just a few sessions, and all they needed was some um, some information basically because we don't always have don't always have the right information, or what they needed was just a safe space where they can tell their partner something that's important to them and and find the right words because sometimes at home it can be very. Mm. it can lead into an argument for example or, mm-hmm. or some hurt feelings and really the psychotherapy office it it provides a safe space for many where mm-hmm. they can open up but also close the topic and then then go home a little freer but that being said the the cooperation can also be mm, months or or maybe a year mm-hmm Depends how narrow we specify the topic that they're working on. Oh, and uh, have you ever had a session with someone or with a couple where where it just went crazy? That like you know they ran out or something, or they started fighting. Yep, yeah, the fighting that happens because we are repeating the same things that we do at home. We can repeat there as well in the office. Uh, But there, I'm trying not to let them get into the very same fight they've had so many times. So I would rather stop them and make them redo it and really listen to each other or you know many other techniques. But a part of therapeutic pro- process are intense emotions sometimes, mm-hmm. so they do have their rightful place and space there. We're trying. For the emotions to be to be allowed mm-hmm. where they belong. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, 
you you mentioned earlier that that some of the some of the clients come and and they have some desires about let's say a different structure of of a relationship mm-hmm. um i guess you're referring to an open relationship mm-hmm. now i know that that you have a personal experience of that yourself um now, when we say the word uh, open relationship, uh, what does that mean? It means that the couple agrees or, <laughs> well, no, it, it gets tricky already. So the people involved, they agree that there will be more people involved, either sexually or romantically as well. Um, they can limit it to a primary cl- couple and then their other secondary couples or there can be many people involved on a same level without the hierarchy so the overarching name for it is consensual non-monogamy that covers open relationships polyamory many many different terms that people people use sluthood for example there is a great book on this ethical slut and yeah they introduce this uh this word slut as and identifying themselves as being free. And I love the quote f- from this book um, that says, sex is good and sex is nice and pleasure is good for you. That's mm-hmm. how they explain that you don't need any other reasons for, for wanting this, really. It's, it's funny. Uh, and the way it works is that be, whoever is involved needs to give their full consent to whatever will be happening next um now here comes a very usual let's say argument or um a place where people get insecure like oh can you really fully can you really fully agree with that isn't one from the couple always just pushed to towards this option but I think that as long as we believe in free will and that we can decide, then we are able to give this consent. So that that, that is important that both partners in, in the, let's say, the core relationship are that they are both happy with yeah, that ha- Yeah, situation. happy with that is probably a, a nice word for it. And yes, there can be a core relationship or not. It can also mean that... Um, you know, I would be dating three people and have non-core relationship with any of them. They would be on the same level. Or I can have a primary partner and then some secondary partners or whatever other setting. Mm-hmm. And is it sexual only or, or? Sometimes it is. For, for some people, they uh, they say that, hey, you can have sex with others, but no romance, no falling in love. Uh, and they're okay with it as long as there are no uh, feelings involved. Uh, mainly if we speak about there being a primary couple that opens up their relationship. Um, so there is this option. Nevertheless, I think the feelings connected to having sex with someone uh, are very hard to avoid. If you start seeing someone... M- as you see them more than once and it's nice and it's good, you usually develop some feelings for them and it's perfectly natural, then I think it's a good um, topic for discussion. 
why am I feeling endangered by these feelings? How can they be difficult for me? And that's where where jealousy jealousy comes. Hmm. Uh, and we might need to start working with these unpleasant feelings we start having. And I think that je- just because we get jealous, it's not uh, a sign of this not working, but we should pay attention to them. What is this feeling telling me? How can my partner help me out here? What can I do for myself here? And then it goes back to, to responsibility, that f- um, we, are respon- we feel that we are responsible uh, for our own feelings, then we can also do something about the jealousy. Mm. And and uh, like in in a relationship like this, would there be like rules of engagement that you know, like yeah, you can, mm-hmm. I don't know, you can meet this person, but not more often than this, or you cannot spend the night, or or how 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 does this work? Is there an agreement? Well, it's <laughs> I have not encountered a written agreement. But <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, uh, that would be ag- in the next podcast, <laughs> the legal podcast. The BDSM podcast, yeah. maybe. There you can <laughs> sometimes uh, sign agreements. Um, I think the important thing is that when you say no to monogamy, which has many rules that we are not even aware of, you are in a very new territory, right? Mm. Nothing is set in stone and you can do everything by yourself that can be a little frightening as well because uh what do you do when you can do anything uh but the couples they usually figure out uh agreements that they need to make uh first they usually make more because it gives us safety it gives us the feeling that we have things at least a bit under control um Sometimes they end up with less rules, really. But the rules are usually um, around time. Because that's if we say that love is not a limited resource, we Mm. can love more people uh, simultaneously. And loving one doesn't mean uh, loving the other less. That's usually at the heart of those values as well. Uh, Then the resource that is limited, though, is, is time. Yeah. So, what 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 are the other rules, Eva, that that are important in this? Mm-hmm. It's usually how we uh, how we treat information. For example, if I'm telling my partner that I have met somebody, or that I'm planning on meeting on somebody, do we discuss that upfront? Do we need to have an approval, or I don't need an approval? Uh, to what level of detail my partner wants to be informed or they feel comfortable with um and so that would be that Mm. how much into the details we go and there are also couples who say uh don't ask don't tell it's okay that it's happening but i don't really want to know much about it it's it's your privacy um so that it would be on one side of the scale, on the other are partners who discuss into uh, big detail and maybe some of them even take some pleasure in discussing these other partnerships. Um, so a different set of rules, for example, is uh, around um, public appearance. Is it okay to be seen with some other partner 
out in the street or in, um, I don't know, in a, in a cinema or someplace else? Uh, uh, do we tell our friends? Do we tell um, our parents and our colleagues at work? So how we treat this, uh, you know, towards our other um, parts of life. The connections, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How how open we are about our open <laughs> relationship. Mm. And that differs. And usually also it changes in time. So people mm. start at some place and, uh, and it develops throughout months or years or phases of the relationship. It can also change. And at some point they can realize, they, hey, maybe right now we need to close this because, I don't know, we're having a baby and the woman might need more security and more stable environment for some period of time and i I, yeah and what about like this uh with uh, with regards to this motherhood marriage and 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 that as an institution i mean how 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 does that work i mean like uh, can you can you go through those phases of you know you you come into a relationship, you tell your partner that, okay, I want to have it open, he agrees or she agrees, and then you move on, you know, like you buy the house, you you you, you have the kid, you get married and, and do all the standard uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Can you t- do all this with, a, with something else kind of going on on the side? I think it very much depends on your capacity if you can handle all those roles and then we get back to the time but to answer your question i know people who live like this for for decades now mm. who've been in an open relationship for a very long time throughout different phases of the marriage and through the kids etc but i also know of couples that opened up their marriage and it broke them up basically mm-hmm. you could say that mm. they suddenly have uh, had an influence that shaked up the relationship way too much. So this is a really personal thing and takes me back to the consent, right? The fact that you agree to something at one stage doesn't mean that the agreement stays throughout years. You need to renew that. Like, is this still okay for us at this phase of our relationship? Mm Mm-hmm. And how about like if you have these two partners, do they meet? I mean, can they can they be somehow under the same roof and and you know long, mm-hmm. one big happy family? Yes, they can. Um, that is also what the rules are concerned with. Sometimes do I want? Oh yeah, uh, that's one thing I forgot. Um, people sometimes limit the the. The candidate pool, we would say, yeah, it's it's okay that you have other partners, but let's not hook up with people from work, for example, or uh-huh. from our mutual friends, because it might be uncomfortable for them, or because they would be afraid that the relationship can grow into something bigger if you're meeting somebody on a on a daily basis. Um, and if if you go. Um, with the don't ask, don't tell policy, then obviously don't want to know about the other people. But mm-hmm. also there are people who say, hey, if there's somebody important in your life, I want to know who they are because, oh, well, they do influence our relationship as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not uncommon that they would meet. 
And when you accept that um, you are dating people who are nice and you trust that your partner wouldn't date some some asshole, yeah. then why not meet them? You yeah, might yeah. as well become friends. Mm-hmm. And that, that happens quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must be horrible to to um to discover that your boyfriend or girlfriend has has been has chosen to date an asshole <laughs> when when you're in an open relationship but um it's a taboo topic um i guess i mean it's a it kind of goes against a lot of the values that we are being told by our parents and by the system and media and, mm-hmm. and society in general um do you see i mean have you have you seen that in your business and in, in, in your life that that about how open can you be about this? You know, like how how mm-hmm. how was that? Yeah. So generally, yeah, we're still a traditional society, right? And values such as faithfulness is is still very important for people, and they're scared by the idea of. This not being a must. N- I would say what I see is that uh, there are people f- for whom when you ask them, and I do ask in therapy, so you're a monogamous couple, are you? And they're, of course. And and I ask, so and did you ever discuss that? And they say, no, it goes without saying. It's a default setting. It's the default setting, exactly. So usually we have a blind spot on the fact that it's not the only option mm-hmm. presented um and what i see is that some people just plainly say hey those people who are interested they are just cheaters uh so they put it into one bucket with all infidelity then mm-hmm. don't really differentiate the fact that this is upon agreement because they can't simply imagine that they would be okay with it that they say oh my god i this is just so far from my idea of relationships that I simply don't understand, and I don't blame them. They they grew up in a, in a world where partner is one. There's just one partner. Mm. Um, for better or worse. For better or worse. Uh huh. Uh huh. So the idea of the openness also attacks this. Like, does mm. it mean that you will just leave me hanging whenever uh, a better option comes? Um, but I see with, uh, again, younger generations who are influenced by maybe media, um, there are now movies, there are series, it's becoming a part of mainstream culture almost, mm. that the option is there. So they're being more um, open about it, interested, they ask questions, they're more curious and try to find out, so how does it work? How come that this works? For somebody, make me understand. Mm. Instead of then just stopping it right at front by our, um, I would say, uh, now I can't find the right word. That mm. we we just stop it right away because at the door, yeah, it don't, don't even open. The idea is too too threatening yeah. to even start contemplating. Mm. So. But it's yeah, and 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 yeah, I was actually thinking about this also in the context of of what you're saying with the the younger generations and and the fact that over the last decade or or, or so, 
there has been globally at least uh, a huge change towards more diversity when it comes to sex and uh, you know and gender definitions and things like this and and it kind of made me wonder whether this um yeah whether monogamy would kind of be one option and then polyamory or 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 what you call the consensual non-monogamous relationship would become just one of the the forms you know that this can become part of the social fabric there might be two two dads and and one mom in a home or two moms and one dad or or two dads and two moms um and and that yeah that like in if you look at what's happening then we have religion is kind of fading out and and uh, and a lot of the kind of older values are being pushed aside in some way so yeah mm-hmm. maybe this will just be one of the ways after what 20 30 years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i think that accepting these other alternative forms of being uh it comes with information with the fact that we start hearing about it uh it becomes normalized so mm. in this way yes i think it will be more accepted as one of the options but then the question is the fact that we see these options does it mean that we are neutral towards them or or maybe we think that one is a lesser option or comes for all the bad reasons and there i'm not sure I think the values saying, oh, this is wrong, are still pretty in place. Mm. And seeing the trend now towards um, maybe more conservative um, side, uh, we're hearing a lot of populists nowadays. So I would not even be surprised if the freedom we've got right now would be a little limited in in the future mm. yeah, that's, that's a political fear. yeah mm-hmm, that's a political mm-hmm. threat there the but, rhetorics um, of one one right way mm. but in the end i mean if 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 this form of of a relationship makes a person happy then mm-hmm. why would that be an issue i mean yep. in the end it's it's not harming mm-hmm. anybody else oh that's my wish that we don't even need to name it and f- you know name 320 uh, types of gender that we would just accept people for who they are and their relationship structure for what that is without really needing to to put a label on it. Mm. But there I I think, or my personal opinion is that uh, uh, the non-monogamous version of relationships is not necessarily better. Also, the research shows that... uh, People who are in such relationships are not happier or more sexually satisfied. They're just uh, regular folks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the magic pill. No, it's not the magic pill. I think that sometimes people confuse that. Oh, you can have more partners. Everything will be solved. But actually, what I see in practice is that it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. And most of all, it teaches the, the partners to talk. Mm. to first uh, be aware of their feelings and then communicate them to the other partner. So it's a lot of... That's the foundation, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for this type of relationship to work, there needs to be not just openness with regards to uh, our sex life, but also or mainly in in our communication. Mm. So these couples are usually very well-trained communicators. 
and that can be useful also in different spheres of the relationship mm. or life. The ability to solve issues together mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. so on. So if, if you were to to advise anyone who is interested in kind of getting into this or, you know, harbors these dreams in their heart and wants to open up mm-hmm. the relationship and what, what would be the... Is there some one golden rule? One golden rule. Um, take your time. Mm. Don't rush these decisions especially if you already are in a relationship and want to introduce that as a change and it is a quite dramatic one then uh, don't push anybody into anything if you're not certain that the other person is okay with that then just slow down Mm. or stop and take some more time and um, and speak about the why your, yeah. your personal philosophy, why is this an attractive option for you? That comes with very deep questions like what love is? Mm-hmm. What do you seek from relationship? Why do you want to be with me? Mm-hmm. Why do I want to be with you? Why okay. are we together? And be very honest about it. So honesty and communication and take, take it slow. Uh-huh. So what's the biggest mistake that you can do I guess that's being unhonest, fast, <laughs> and oh. non-talkative. <laughs> non-talkative. The biggest mistake, um, I would say, ex- expect that uh, you won't make any mistakes because you will. Mm-hmm. You that will. you think it won't be a smooth ride. I'm not sure if if smooth is is the right word. I mean. Um, if we are accepting mistakes as part of the process, the learning process and the change, and also part of life, mm-hmm. then we'll be way um, more able to name it, to stop making mistakes and take it here with us and discuss what what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so accept that they're part of life. Mm-hmm. Um because you will make mistakes. You mm. will hurt yourself or your partner along the way. But this is not uh, exclusive just for open relationships, mm. right? That is for all relationships. And we need to be able to come back and say, hey, I, I screwed up. I think I did this wrong. What do you think about that? And and face the consequences of your actions. Mm-hmm. And if you, if people are are curious about this uh, and want to know more, what, is there any, is there any literature or is there any place to go to, like, um, you know, mm-hmm. like, is there like an information center for <laughs> non, non-monogamous? Yeah. So there is this the Bible of uh, non-monogamy that I mentioned, a book called The Ethical Slut, mm-hmm. written by two authors from the U.S. who are already aged ladies and. They probably started in the age of um, 60s. So mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that their take on it also from a much longer traditional uh, tradition because they've been living it for years. Uh, so this is a good resource. Then if you're interested to speak to some person who is live, maybe a therapist or a counselor, <coughs> then... Googling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Uh, I know that for Prague, for example, there's a Facebook group called uh, Polyamorous Relationships. It is in Czech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have meetups every now and then. So okay. there you can come and talk to other people who live this way of life and discuss and maybe share some experience and best practices and their personal take on how to how to do this right. I think that's very useful. Whenever you can talk to somebody with a personal experience and ask the questions, that helps a lot. Okay. But then also popular culture offers some options such as you, me, her series on Netflix or some ser- some episodes of uh, their series called uh, Love. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's great. Um, we're gonna kind of put the the stopper on the on the sex talks now. Um, getting to an end here, but I was I was curious. So you uh, you're working on your PhD now, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, what's the what what's that? <laughs> what's the what's the topic? What's, what's the, topic? the yeah? Well, surprisingly, it's a uh, sex psychology because <laughs> yeah. that's really my. Uh, field of expertise where I want to learn more and be a better at service to my clients. And what I'm currently working on is uh, a research on how COVID and the quarantine and various measures connected to to this situation of, of pandemic, how does it influence people's relationships and sex lives? Mm-hmm. So it's a very relevant topic. It's very relevant and very interesting. And what are kind of the, uh, any any uh, <laughs> what have we found out so far? Well, the results are very preliminary, and I can't really fully, you know, tell you the numbers and guarantee. But the trend that I saw just just by looking through the the data is um, that for about third of the couples, when we look at partnered couples, uh, it didn't influence their sex life at all. One third was influenced to to worse. They say our sex life is worse now, we have less frequency, we're less satisfied. And what's interesting is that they say it's mainly because of stress-related reasons. They say we have more stress, we work more, uh, we need to take care of the kids, so the roles, they overlap, so they have less time, more tired, and that leads to not being in a mood for sex. Mm-hmm. And that third that said our sex life got better, they say, oh, we have less stress because we can stay at home, we don't have to commute to work, we are together all day long, so we can have sex during the day, when we are all, when we have higher energy and not late in the evening when we return back from work, which is the usual for many couples. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I find it funny that uh, there is no linear line of influence. It really depends on what your uh, personal, what your life looks like and yeah. how you got influenced if you're, for example, a nurse and you have to work a lot more, then it'll be a very different picture than when you're home officing and having a nice rest. Yeah. But talking about this, um, I would somehow, um, yeah, I would somehow have thought that the effects were more negative because mm-hmm. of this 
being in, in some sort of a constant fear. I, I mean, that's my theory. I feel, feel that we are being kept in fear for um, limited reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would have thought that that had an echo effect. So it's 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 interesting to to hear that it's it's split like this. But um, well, you see that um, people they might be stressed, but and for some, uh, stress is an effect. Uh, sex is an effective coping mechanism with stress. stress. Yeah. yeah, it gives you relief. It makes you relax. It connects you with your partner. Mm. You can share. So it can also be. Um, something that makes you stronger, uh-huh. an antidote to stress, yeah. let's say. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how this, you know, research turns out. I'm, I'm sure it's going to mm-hmm. be um, yeah, published at some point. Um, uh, other things you you were giving some seminars. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, uh, my friends. Uh, Eliška Remeshova and Marketa Šetinova, they run this online webinar called uh, Partnership Academy and mm-hmm. they focus on relationships. First, uh, we've got five topics, mm, how to meet a partner, beginnings of relationships uh, and then also crisis. And the topic that I cover is, is sex mm-hmm. and how to how to be successful and and happy with your sex life in the beginning of the relationship but uh, also in a in long run mm-hmm. and where is this um, is this an online thing that is like every week or or, or is it, it is an online thing we just uh, we just ran second second run of this yeah. uh, and it is actually finished today but uh, so far we had a great success and it's interesting for people they say it's it's nice so we'll be probably uh doing it again oh that's great and and uh, and if people want to follow you or follow some of the things that you're involved in is there any mm-hmm. web page uh, social media or anything like that so I'm very bad with my social presence. I don't want to split my attention. I know that. <laughs> but I do have a website. It's it's my name. It's ivaroladerva.cz where I inform about these things. And also uh, what I think might be interesting, um, we have with my colleague Eliška this product called Mame Sex. It means we have sex, basically. And it's um, a year-long guide to make your sex life better. It's it's focused on couples who've been together for some time and they want to spice it up a little or bring something new or maybe just reconnect after some time. And via um, 12 monthly letters, they're being given hints and ideas on what they could be doing together. And I think it's very useful because then, you know, it's not coming from one or the other, but it comes from like um, a neutral third party. So sometimes for people, it's easier mm. to start doing something when it comes from a neutral place. It's more it, acceptable. Yes, it's mm. more acceptable uh, acceptable when it's not one uh, asking the other to do something. Okay, that's great. Um, and your therapy, you do that in, you can do, you do Czech and English, I guess. Uh, yeah, I work both in, in Czech and in English. Currently, I oh, I prefer face to face, but let's see what the quarantine and yeah, pandemic happens. brings. Yeah. Um, and maybe I'll switch to online again, as I did before. 
Okay, that's uh, you have a lot of stuff on your plate. Um, I do. Yeah. Thanks for coming, Eva. It's been a pleasure. Thank and you very much. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's good. Uh, the rest of you guys, uh, thanks for listening. Please uh, subscribe to my podcast, share it with your sister, uh, tell your uncle about it, and review me with your top review. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. My name there is Midlife Crisis Warrior. I also have a Facebook page called The Bunker. How the hell did we end up here? Uh, that's it for the day, and I'll see you around. Take care. Bye.